Welcome to KathleenWitten.org. We believe that Kathleen's message will inspire you, encourage you, and give you a fresh perspective on life. Now, here's Kathleen. We discussed in part one of this humility lesson that we're looking at, and <laughs> it's uh, extremely uh, humbling. Um, but we discussed that obviously the opposite of humility is um, pride, and that pride is the root of all sin. It's why Adam and Eve committed the first sin in Genesis 3, 5, and 6. The serpent said to them, you shall be as gods. We forget that part. We look at the fruit part and, oh, she, you know, Eve thought that looked great and all that. But we forget the serpent said to Eve, you shall be as gods. So it was basically the root of all sin. The original sin was pride because that's what they wanted to be as as gods. And the created ones basically wanted to be the creator or as the creator. And that's still our problem today. I mean, pride, really start looking at it as the created ones wanting to be the creator <laughs> and how that might fit into your life. Andrew Murray says that so well, and I, I'm going to quote him a lot in these talks because I admire him so much. And I know he's seated somewhere at the right hand of God. <laughs> he's such an amazing man. But he said, and so pride or the loss of humility is the root of every sin and evil. Think about that. Pride or the loss of humility, the loss of it is the root of all sin and evil. So in our lives, the thing that we should strive the most to be is humble. The thing that we're literally swimming upstream in order to be is humble. Our natural inclination through Adam is to be prideful and to be desiring to be as the creator and to be dependent on self instead of God. And we'll look at that more deeply. But just looking at that, that pride is the root of every sin and evil. It's the root. It's interesting that Eve ate the fruit, but pride was the root. Amazing. And that that is literally what the serpent spewed out of his mouth and why he fell, as we discussed last time, was because he wanted to be as God, Lucifer, the angel of light. And so he spewed out of his mouth, oh, and you'll be as God's if you eat this fruit. Temptation. Think of pride completely as the root of all evil. It's so important to God in our relationship that we remember that we are the created and not the creator. You know, I've never really looked at that before. <laughs> I really haven't. I mean, I didn't really realize that the Bible emphasized that so much. But I mean, if, even if you look at, at Revelations 4.11, which I love, it says... That they shall cast their crowns before the throne, so saying, Worthy art thou, O Lord our God, to receive the glory and the honor and the power, for thou didst create 
all things. And because of thy will, we are and were created. We, the, 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 literally, the saints are throwing their crowns with, with, with their jewels from their lives and at the, at the feet of God and saying, you are worthy to be praised because you are the creator. You know? And then looking at, let's go to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1. I think it's interesting that it says three times in one verse, created. That God created. Three times in one verse. Look at Genesis 1.26 says, God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Of course, we know that's the Trinity talking right there. Our. Verse 27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Three times in one verse. Does God do that because he doesn't have, he's run out of words? Seriously. I mean, does God do that because he's run out of words? See, you know, if, if that was in an English paper, probably I'm substituting a lot for English right now. And um, I would have to say, you know, you need to find another word beside created. You said created three times in one sentence. But there's a reason why. You know, so I looked at that word created in the Hebrew and it means to shape, form and fashion always was with God as the subject that God shapes, God forms, God fashions. And that's what we need to so desire with our lives as Christians is not that I become shaped or formed or fashioned to the best person I know but to the image of Jesus and nothing less. Will we ever attain perfection on this earth? No. Are we to strive to attain it? Yes. Is that being preached in our churches? Humbly, I will say no. I have not heard a sermon on humility in a long time, if ever. I don't think I've ever heard a sermon on humility. I'm just being honest with you. I'm not looking at pastors or preachers or people. I'm looking at myself, too. I've, I've done talks on humility, but it's just so easy to do a talk and then kind of walk away from it and not realize where hidden pride is, so I don't claim any kind of great fame from that. But I have heard a lot of sermons in a lot of churches because I go and speak in different churches that are the opposite of humility, that are all about what God is in you, but all about you, what you can do, what you can accomplish, what you can dream, what you can believe, what you, 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 you. Let's not forget that it's God who forms, that molds and transforms. God's the creator. We forget. Andrew Murray said, God is the ever-living, ever-present, ever-acting one who upholds all things by the word of his power and in whom all things exist. The relation of the creature to God, that's us, could only be one of unceasing, absolute, universal dependence. Unceasing, absolute, universal dependence. Wow. Wow. And and just like we prayed earlier, you know, God says, 
to be thankful in, in all things. He doesn't say to be thankful for all things. <laughs> I, I paid attention to that in Philippians. Mm-hmm. But to be thankful in all things. In other words, the difficult things, like it was prayed earlier, the very horrible things in our life that bring us to our knees are the very things that make us unceasingly dependent upon God. And thank you, God, for those things. There by the grace of God go I. There by the grace of God go I. If you don't have any need for God, I find it a conundrum in my mind. I find it a matrix or a difficulty in understanding how that person comes to know Christ. Because I find myself so in need of God every single minute, every single moment. And I know so many other Christians that do as well. It doesn't mean I'm more humble. It just means that I know I need him. And I think the dangerous place to be is when you feel self-sufficient. The dangerous place to be is when you're actually a leader and you don't really have anybody to answer to. The dangerous place to be is where you are acting as God. And we need to pray. For all of our leaders. Because that is going to be the fall of the church. You know, mainline churches have not done as well as non-denominal churches. But the problem with a lot of self-planted churches is there's no one over the person that's over the church. Pray for them. Don't. Judge them or despise them. Pray for them. They are so um, tempted. And um, I can't imagine. Our life is his breath. Genesis 2-7 says, And the Lord God formed man out of the depths of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Literally, our life is God's breath. Our life is God's breath. And we receive things through humility. Humility, the place of entire dependence upon God. Remember what Andrew Murray said, the place of entire dependence on God. Our fallen nature dictates that we don't realize that we are so dependent upon him until no one can save us but him. You know? Sometimes we don't. It's like I told a friend the other day, I do better with these life-altering, huge, nothing-you-can-do-about-it Kathleen things than light bulbs that need to be changed. Because I know that it's all got to be God. And the other is like, get on the stool, change the light bulb, find the light bulb, get the right kind of light bulb. And in reality, I should be saying, in all things that I do, Lord, I need your help. In everything. In all things. I really can't do anything without you. Nothing. You are my breath of life. I think about this when we think about that his breath is our life and how humbling that is and how you don't really realize that until you can't breathe sometimes. And after I had that 13-hour reconstructive back surgery, I was in that coma for five days and... I had a respirator breathing for me 
you know, all stuck all the way down my throat. Well, they tie your hands down because your natural inclination is to pull that respirator out because you want to breathe on your own. And it just, to me, is such a picture of us with God. It's like he wants to be our breath. He wants us to depend on him. He wants us to be our holy respirator that doesn't hurt, that's, that's beautiful, that's heavenly. And our natural inclination is just to pull it all out and say, no, 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 we, I can do this. I can breathe on my own. Instead of saying, God, you are my very breath that I take. You are my very breath. I thank you for that. I thank you for that. And I thought a long time, you know, why didn't I like my hands tied down? Really? It was humiliating, first of all. I couldn't talk. I was in a coma, but I still didn't like it. I did not like my hands tied down because I couldn't help myself. And I realized somebody's tied my hands down. How dare them? Well, they did it to save my life. Does God ever allow our hands to be tied? Does he? With our hands tied, we can be humiliated, full of pride and reject all help, or we can humbly ask God for help and receive it however he wants to give it. And that is key. However he wants to give it. Because a lot of times, I don't know about you, but my prayers are like, I humble myself before you, and I would like to receive your help by here are five suggestions. You know, or sometimes I'll just give him two, you know, or three, or whatever. But I mean, just remain in that realm. Thank you very much. And that's pride too, instead of saying, however you want to do it. However you want to do it. My back is against the wall. However you want to do it. When we say also, and I just was thinking about this and going through this in my mind and, 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 and about myself. And, and um, I remember, you know, a lot of you might recognize this story that 13 years ago I had leukemia and I had 37 blood transfusions and platelet transfusions as well in addition to. And I heard of blood drives in my name when I was in the hospital, oh, they're having a blood drive in your name. And I was so embarrassed because I consider myself a private person. Is that pride? Is considering yourself a private person pride? You know, I think it can be. I'm just really private about my religion. Really? Do you really believe what you believe? Because you really believe what you believe. You'd want other people to know the truth, right? You'd withhold truth from me because you're private? And I thought about that and I thought, I'm a private person, but I was saved from the blood transfusions. I could not have lived had I not been transfused. And I ask God that, and I, I know I've shared this many times, but it still never loses its, 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 its um, immensity for me. I've asked God that. You know, God, you promised me 
that you were going to heal me. You, we had conversations in the hospital, believe me. And I knew, I knew that I knew the word and I knew that the timing wasn't right and that, that, that he was going to do it. But I said, why all the blood transfusions? We could do this without that. And he was like, because I want you to go out and teach that the body needs the body. We can't, be, we can't afford to be private, you all. We cannot afford to be private. The enemy uses that. The enemy uses that to your detriment and to the detriment of others. Because when you share and you're open, you never know who you're healing, who you're touching, who you're... Who's listening? We need to be transfused from each other. The body needs the body. Do we withhold God's love to others through our pride? Do we? Do we ever withhold God's love or the love that God has emplaced in, in us to use to love others through our pride? Do you see each person as the creation of God? Yeah? Do you ever belittle other people? Sometimes we kind of think, well, they're public figures because, so, you know, basically, you know, journalists tell us you can, it's not slanderous because they're public figures, we can say whatever we want. No, do you ever belittle other people? I'm talking anybody. I'm talking preachers, I'm talking people, I'm talking family. Proverbs 17.5 says this, He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. Okay, so we think, oh, well, I don't mock the poor. But who are the poor? Yeah? Can't you be poor in spirit? Can't you be mentally ill? Can you be elderly? Can you be a child? Can you be someone who hasn't received very much teaching? He who mocks the poor reproaches his maker. Proverbs 14.31 says, He who oppresses the poor, the children, the elderly, the helpless, those poor in spirit, physically ill, mentally ill, reproaches his maker. You know what that word reproach means? It means blasphemes. Wow. I mean, we're really into like, oh, this is blasphemous sin. And this is not. This is regular sin. Whatever. I mean, sin is sin. God says anyone who wrongs the poor, children, elderly, helpless, those poor in spirit, mentally ill, physically ill, and I'm sure you could add to this list, blasphemes him. You know, Lacey can't be specific about his work, but he does elder law and he does wills and trusts and, and guardianships and... After the fact, um, when something happened or when someone does pass away, he will often share with me not the details but some of the generalities of what has transpired. And he shared with me about an elderly lady. Uh, it's not going to be surprising to you all, but a neighbor befriends her, a lonely elderly lady who needs help. And 
basically they go to the bank together and she um, turns over all her money to him. She has nothing to live on now. He doesn't know what happened to it. Right? Happens all the time. How many people are taken advantage of? Not just the elderly, but the poor. You know, sometimes we even think politically like, oh, well, you know, I'm not dumb enough to fall for that or da-da-da-da-da. What about those that don't know or couldn't know? Shouldn't we be praying for them instead of projecting at them? Yeah. The creation. God wants us to love each one as part of his creation. Pride is the root of all sin. Pride breeds selfishness and fear. Fear is the opposite of love. You think about that for just a minute. Pride breeds selfishness and fear. Why could fear fall into that? I mean, we know fear is the opposite of love, right? Not hate or anger or whatever. I mean, it's fear in the Bible. And pride breeds fear and selfishness because, see, selfishness starts to want contain things on this earth and have treasures that aren't in heaven. Selfishness is thinking about self. Selfishness is worried about self. Selfishness has to take care of self all the time because self is the God. And it breeds fear. We should be praying for someone like that. And it may be us. I'm not saying that I hadn't gotten on my face and gone, okay, God, I see this in me. But if you see it in someone else, Don't look down on it, but just be like, God, help this person. Because they are in a vortex of fear. They're trying to help themselves. They're trying to be their own God. It's a horrible place to be. It's hell on earth, really. We pray for them. So what is the cure for pride? I mean, so if we're talking about all this, you know, I'm going to get all serious. But what's the cure for pride? Really? Humility. And as I mentioned earlier, even though humility is the cure for pride, and the Bible says it over and over, and we'll look at different scriptures, it's truly going to be swimming upstream for us. And it's going to feel that awkward. That awkward. Humility. Jesus Christ took the place and fulfilled the destiny of man as a creature. Back to that, you know, from the first teaching. That God humbled himself to become man. That the creator humbled himself to become the creature. By his life of perfect humility, his humility is our salvation. Have we ever thought about that? Shouldn't we strive for humility above all other characteristics because humility is our salvation? The humility of God brought our salvation. God's humility to become a man and his salvation is our humility. And he 
humbled himself to go to the cross. I talked to the 11th graders yesterday at church, and I asked them, I said, you know, what did he say on the way to the cross? The people that were plucking out his beard and, you know, spitting in his face and cussing at him, what did he say? He said nothing. He said nothing. God allowed himself to be humiliated by the very people that he was saving. The creator allowed himself to be humiliated by the creation, and yet we as the creation avoid humiliation at all costs. What's that? Oh, pride. (laughs) And I'm convicted as much as anybody else. Totally. God, the creator, humbled himself to become one of us. He, He was recognized by some. He was crucified by others. Do you know that he didn't differentiate? You know, I told the 11th graders, if I was him, I would have a lightning bolt sort of kind of come out of my finger and just go, okay, sorry, just needed to get rid of a few people before this happens. You know, I mean, let's just save the people that are actually humble enough to receive me. No, God is patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. It's long-suffering. You know how patient he is with people? The people that we've totally given up on, pretty much. God's not given up on them. Not one little bit. Not one little bit. We're to be humble as he is humble. And I want to ask you a question because that Holy Spirit asked me this question. So I think it's only fair that you all have to get asked this question as well. Since this all has to be fair. And that's probably prideful. But... He said to me, honestly, and I was sitting in prayer and, and, and studying this, and he said, when is the last time, Kathleen, you allowed, allowed yourself to be humiliated? And I did think of a time. But, man, I came so close to uh, humiliating the person back in a, a kind and lovely way, of course. Which is even worse, because as Christians, we know how to do that, you know, or a lot of us do. There's just a kind and lovely way to respond to this humiliation. And God said, no, respond in prayer. What did Jesus do on the way to the cross? He said, nothing. What did he say to his accusers? Nothing. He even stopped talking to Pilate. I mean... Are we to be like him or not? Because I feel like a lot of us are trying to be like each other, and then that's how we're going to be like Christ instead of going, wait a minute, when is the last time I allowed myself to be humiliated? Wow. And do we ever pray this so powerful in Psalm 119.37? I know it because I've been praying it over my children and I've seen a 180 degree turn in really both of my children, but especially one, which is a total miraculous situation. I pray Psalm 119.37 over myself, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. Turn away my eyes from looking at vanity. In the Hebrew, that word vanity is like false, lying, emptiness, 
worthlessness. But do you remember a long time ago we used to call mirrors vanities? So turn my eyes away from looking in the mirror and going, I'm okay, you're okay. Sorry, that was a book title. Turn my eyes from looking at other people. Turn my eyes from worthless things. Turn my eyes from storing things on this earth. Turn my eyes from what I need, what I need, what I need. Instead of thank you, thank you, thank you, gratitude, gratitude, gratitude. Earthly beauty, turn my eyes away from it. Turn my eyes from wealth and kingdoms. That should not be our focus because none of it's going to last. I love a song, and and I I don't remember who sings it, but I just remember the words, no more building earthly kingdoms, no injustice in your name. Are we, as a church, are we, as a people, not pointing fingers at others, but let's look at ourselves, are we building earthly kingdoms? Or is our number one priority, like Matthew 6.36 says, to seek God, to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. Wow. And are we hearing that from each other? Build that kingdom of God. Don't look in the mirror. Don't look at other people. Don't look at vanity. Don't look at things that pass away. But look at Jesus. So what do we do now? Okay, first we need to admit our pride. Okay, well that's not hard. At least not for me right now because I pretty much could be just laying on the ground going, okay, you know, with like a white flag. Surrender. (laughs) I really seriously admit our pride. It's interesting that St. Augustine said to err is human, but to persist in error out of pride is diabolical. Well, that's interesting. To persist in error out of pride is diabolical. Admitting means confessing that we may know about it, but it also means asking God to show us what we don't know. See, because sometimes we're so prideful, we think we know what to admit. <laughs> I mean, it's a dichotomy, really, but it's like, okay, I'm going to admit this and this and this, and I can hear the Holy Spirit so clearly that I know exactly what to admit. No, you don't. No, I don't. That's pride. We need to also be willing, also be willing to be quiet. Be quiet somewhere sometime. In your car, in your house, wherever the Holy Spirit leads you. And say, God, show me my hidden pride, you know? Look at Jesus to see ourselves in the mirror of God's word. We're not supposed to look in the vanity, the mirror, and see our own reflection or the reflection of other people standing with us. That's what we see in the vanity on earth. That's what's called vain. But we're supposed to look in the mirror. Hebrews 12, 2 says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. I didn't say glimpse. You know, I mean, I I have to admit to you, there's a lot of weeks that I glimpse. You know, kind of like you look in your rearview mirror, oh, I'm not going to back in anything. And I don't give Jesus any more time than that. 
as long as I don't get hurt, as long as I don't do anything really blasphemous, I'm pretty, you know, I'm in good standing. What about fixing our eyes on Christ? In the Amplified Bible, y'all hang in there with me. Don't, don't let this get past you because it's so powerful. In the Amplified Bible in Hebrews 12, 2, it says, looking away from all that will distract to Jesus. That sounds like on purpose, yeah? Not like, oh, fix your eyes on Jesus if you can. It's, it's looking away from all that will distract to Jesus, who is the leader and the source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief. And is also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection for he, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame. We ever thought about that? It's okay to despise being humiliated, you know, Jesus did, but he also ignored it. Is that our first inclination? Or is our first inclination to defend ourselves? Especially with our own family. Let me just throw that out there. Oh, I'm really good with other people. Just when my blah, 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 and my family says blah, 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 I get really defensive because they always say blah, blah, blah. What about silence? What about you may be right? What about let me pray about that? Hebrews 12, 3 says, just think of him who endured from sinners such grievous opposition and bitter hostility against him. Reckon upon and consider it all in comparison with your own trials so that you may not grow weary or exhausted, losing heart and relaxing and fainting in your minds. Sadly, I think that's where a lot of Christians are. I'm just tired of trying to do the right thing. I'm just going to go with the flow. I, or I just subconsciously maybe. Relaxing, fainting in your minds. Don't ever become weary of doing good. But as Jesus did, he, he didn't look at the cross, which was the humiliation so much, as looking at the prize, which was saving us. Can we look past the humiliation to maybe blessing the person? Or are we all about us and defending who we are? Wow. I don't know about you, but I'm a little antsy in my own seat. R.A. Torrey, I love him, but he he, uh, said, If we are to run with patience the race that's set before us, we must always keep looking to Jesus. One of the simplest yet one of the mightiest secret of abiding joy and victory is to never lose sight of Jesus. Can I say that again? One of the simplest and one of the mightiest secrets of abiding joy and victory is to never lose sight of Jesus. No matter what pain I'm going through today, I can know that it's not about today. I am not just focused on today. I am focused on Jesus that's my joy, my prize. Why are you happy? You know, somebody may know you're going through something. You're going through this. You're going through that. Whether it's physical pain or spiritual pain or emotional pain, like we discussed earlier. 
So why are you joyful? Because my eyes are fixed upon the Lord. He is the end. He is my prize. And by the way, he's working on things. He's sending his angels out according to his word. He's working on things that I can't see. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How have we gotten away from that as Christians? Got to see it to believe it. Well, I don't know. It's just not happening. Really? In your time or God's? Believe, believe, believe. It's, it's, it's like back to the English, you know, present tense. We don't want to be believed. We're supposed to be believers. We're supposed to be not people who did believe, you know. I mean, what if there was a church with a big steeple and it was called We Did Believe in 1891? We're supposed to be believers, We need to watch our subconscious as we compare ourselves to others instead of fixing our eyes on Christ. We really, really need to watch it. We need to watch for looking to self, intelligence, our contacts, even our own morality and knowledge spiritually. We need to watch looking to ourselves because guess what? We can't see our own blind spots. That's why they're called blind spots. That's why we talked earlier about, okay, I, I'm gonna, one of the first things we need to do is admit pride. Well, we can admit pride, but we can't even admit our own blind spots. God have mercy on us, and he does, but blind spots are called blind spots because you're blind to them. And pride wants to say, well, I actually really am pretty much aware of my blind spots. I really think in my heart I've probably saved that. And Lord, also forgive me for my blind spots, which I'm pretty much aware of. Really? Really? Oh, my gosh. I was going to go speak the other day. I thought I looked just fine. The last minute, I decided to see the back of my head. You know? Well, to do that, you need two mirrors, right? I mean, really. You need two mirrors. And it was a mess. I mean, it really was a mess. I'm not kidding. It, it, I, I do have hair that has a personality of its own, a mind of its own. It, it does what it wants to do in different kind of weather. And I won't go into all that because, you know, we're getting kind of into the earthly vanity kind of thing. But um, we just put a bunch of brown dye in it. And it's like if you separate it in one little part, it's like the differentiation between brown and blonde is just not a good thing. So I need to call my hairdresser as it is. Hopefully he's listening to this, but it might be too late by now. But I looked in the mirror to look in the mirror, right? Women, we know we have to do that. Saw the back of my head, blind spot. Whoa, I almost went somewhere like that. You know? Well, spiritually speaking, we need two mirrors. We need the truth, which is God's word. And you know what the other one is? It was really surprising for me. Really surprising. Two mirrors that we need are God's truth and obedience. I'll prove it to you in the word. James 1.22 says, Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man 
who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law, so the man that's looking intently at Jesus, the man that's looking intently at the word, that gives freedom and continues to do this, continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, and here's the key, but doing it, he'll be blessed in what he does. It's not really what we know, it's what we do, you know? I mean, I remember when I was, I was random, but I was, I, I remember when I was waitressing at a certain restaurant that when I was engaged and um, going to college too and um, waitressing at this restaurant and and the owner of the restaurant had a great idea for a fast food place and um, sat us all down and and um, my input was, well, you know, people are so, and this is, of course, in the late 80s and uh, like 1988 or something because it was right before I got married. And my input to him was, no, people are really not into the burger and fry thing. You need to go with what people, the, the knowledge is coming out about nutrition and, and what we need to be eating, not bigger pizzas and burgers and fries and shakes and get it, you know, Wednesday free for your children. Do you know what I'm talking about now? Okay. So my input was totally wrong because I thought, people would actually do what they knew to do. That's not our natural inclination. I mean, some of us have pride in that. Like, I try to eat very nutritionally. Oh, really? Is that pride? I think so, probably. But I'm just saying our natural inclination, it doesn't help us to know something and not do it. And he's an entrepreneur, knew better than I that people know things and don't do it. <laughs> they do what they want. They do what feels good. They do what tastes good. And he's made a lot of money on that restaurant chain. And I would have never, ever given him that advice. I would have said, oh, you know, you need to have Brussels sprouts and really good salads and, you know, dressing made out of flaxseed. And, you know, just, you know, that's where we're all headed. Read every article. No, he knew. We need to realize, too, that about ourselves. A good mirror for us to glimpse into is describing the humility and meekness of Christ. And it's just an excerpt from E.J. White's The Desire of Ages. And I think it's so good. Of course, I admire E.J. White very much. But this is about Jesus. He shunned display. He did not strive for worldly greatness and even the lowest position. He was content. He did not contend for his rights. Okay, I'm struggling with that one. He did not contend for his rights. Whoa, 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 wait. I'm an American. Really? My 11th grader said the whole problem with all of us is that we're entitled. My 11th graders said that at church. I said, what is the root of the sin of your generation? And somebody raised their hand, this young man, and, you know, looks at me and says, entitlement. 
He weeded all vanity from his life. He took no measures to bring himself into notice. His manners were gentle and unassuming. In that life, there was no noisy disputation, no ostentatious worship, no act to gain applause. No act to gain applause. Go to livingjesus.us to hear the rest of Kathleen's message and hundreds more at no cost. Thousands of people in 40 countries download Kathleen's scripture-filled, Jesus-inspired, real-life messages at an increasing rate. Jesus said, freely you received, freely give. Matthew 10, 8. If you were able, financially join us in reaching the world for Jesus. Go to livingjesus.us and freely give so that those who could never pay will continue to freely receive. And not upset when others don't like Jesus in us. When they don't like our personalities. When they've rejected us as human beings. We are to still love as Jesus did. Not the best you can, but as Jesus did. He remained true to the humble lot he accepted. His every feature expressed gentleness and resignation and the tenderest pity for his cruel foes. Wow. Wow. 